boat has a little bit of speed built up in it. It's pretty cool. Although we did get a person legitimately, independently reaching out on Facebook going, so there's no new app this week? <laughs> I saw that. That was cool. I didn't know who that was. Yeah. But I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do that right now. <laughs> also, I have some good news. Oh. We're now ranked 238th in Natural Sciences podcasts in Great Britain. What? Are you serious? Yeah. It's what's going out to be the only piece of news. How many? Uh, I'm not sure where they cut off the records, but it's like a cutoff where they don't go any lower than a certain number, and we are at least there. Um, uh, I, was, I would doubt that it would be 238. That's just too weird a number to have a total last. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was going to be my only piece of news when we were going to record last week, partly because last week we were ranked 93rd, but <laughs> so we dropped to 238th. <laughs> What? In a week. Um, In actually good news, we are, as of when I looked this up a couple days ago, uh, not only finally high enough to be ranked at all in Natural Sciences podcast in the U.S., but we are number 80. What? Yeah. Holy moly. Well, I must say, um, (laughs) wow. 80 out of... At least 238. (laughs) Got to figure, right? Mm -hmm. Damn. Well, I wonder if we can't get onboarded and start reading those Casper mattress ads that I think <laughs> yep. so thirsty to read. <laughs> As we know out there, all podcast audiences don't have a bed to sleep on, don't have a wardrobe, <laughs> can't cook for themselves, heathens. but do need to hire employees. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're too busy listening to all this fresh tent. That's exactly right. <laughs> How are you supposed to make a bed when you got to pitch all that tent into your ear holes? Uh, do you have any updates you want to... Co- those, those are my major podcast nope. updates. For, okay. Um, <laughs> then before we get into our sort of topic for the week, um, I have no choice at all but to dig into yet another friggin' update on the Phantom of the Chicago. Cute music. Thank you for reminding me when I'm editing. I, I often forget. It's music. There you go. <laughs> uh, so everyone's been losing their goddamn minds over this one particular incident, so I feel that I have no choice but to cover it. Uh, for clarity, the Phantom of the Chicago is the name we've been giving to the uh, sightings throughout the Chicago area and kind of just generally around Lake Michigan of a giant humanoid flying bat monster with glowing red eyes. It's been seen, especially since 2017, um, largely covered by Lon Strickler of phantomsandmonsters.com, but also by some other folks of his ilk. And uh, we've been covering it since the very beginning of this show. Yes, indeed. And now other folks have been picking up on it, too. So the, uh, the incident in question occurred on November 26th at O'Hare International Airport. Uh, one of my favorite layovers back in the day, actually, probably because of the Brachiosaurus that they have there. Aww. But also that uh, that tunnel with the neon lights that used to have continuous ambient electronic music playing. That was pretty cool, too. Ooh, anyway, like uh, the story was... a motorized walkway in said tunnel? Yes. Ooh. Yeah, you just kind of zoom along on a couple of moving sidewalks while you just enjoy the uh, neon lights all around you. And it's a nice time. And then depending on which terminal you're going from and to, you may then go up an escalator and be met by a Brachiosaurus. Aww. It's a good time. I think it's Terminal B, I want to say. I have a very specific place that I want to someday go. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Uh, this star was picked up by Manuel Navarrete <laughs> of Wyatt. Uh, Phantoms and Monsters or whatever it's called. UFO Clearinghouse. UFO Clearinghouse. That's the one. And it goes a little something like this. Quote, I was at the airport picking up a load at Nippon. Nippon? I don't know. I'm already off to a great start. I was already backed into a dock and was standing away from the truck smoking a cigarette while they loaded my truck. I was looking toward the runways in the direction of the tunnel and that is when I noticed something that looked like a large bird standing just outside of the fence by the parking lot. Okay. It was not hard to miss because two street lamps were nearby. It looked like a person with wings that was were stretched out and flapping. It was I walking, it looked like a large bird. Yeah, I don't know. It was walking away from the fence toward the open field and then began to flap its wings and disappeared. Investigator notes. I spoke with a witness via phone and was able to get a little more information regarding the sighting. The witness primarily speaks Spanish but was able to report the sighting with the help of his daughter and her boyfriend. The witness was standing away from his truck as it was being loaded, smoking a cigarette when he had, uh, when he said he caught movement out of the corner of his eye and saw the being standing near the parking lot and was illuminated by two street lamps. The syntax on that is so strange. Mm-hmm. The witness stated that the creature was about seven feet tall using the fence as a point of reference. When I asked him how he was able to be so certain of, as to the height of this, of this being, the driver stated he has been to this location multiple times and he estimates the fence to be about eight feet high. Hmm. Uh, using the fence, he was certain that the being was at least seven feet tall. When I asked him how large the wings were, he said at least six feet across and black. So it's just the tiniest little wings, like picking yeah. off. Um, when I asked him to describe the being, he said it looked like a uh, a demon or a duende. Goblin. No. Uh, it's oh shoot! Remember off the top of your head what episode we talked about a duende on? Mm. It's in the teens or twenties, I want to say. Huckleberry. It was pretty early on. Barry, episode seventeen is when you yes. talked about the concept of the duende, as well as mm-hmm. puckwudgies and gremlins. That's and a, a real shiner of an episode. If anyone listening has not yet <laughs> delved into the back catalog, episode it's seventeen, worth a Huckleberry jaunt. Hellhound. We call it. I talked about Hellhound. You talked about some great stuff. So worth checking out if you haven't mm-hmm. already. So it looked like either a demon or a duende, and was solid black. The witness said okay. he saw nothing that looked like eyes, and he assumed the creature might have had its back turned to him. He stated that it um, that it walked with a gait like a bird, and that it was flapping its wings as it walked toward the large field that it, um, is by the runways and disappeared into the night. Mm. The witness did state that when it disappeared, he quickly did the sign of the cross and asked the Virgin Mary for protection. He put out a cigarette and quickly walked back to his truck. Pretty important detail. Yes. Uh, when I asked him why he did that, he said that he felt a presence that was evil and was convinced that he had seen a demon. When asked to elaborate on this <laughs> statement, the witness refused to talk about it anymore for fear of it coming back. I respected mm-hmm. his wishes and went on to ask other questions about the time, condition, about the time conditions, and uh, if there were other potential witnesses to his sighting. He said that there were others at the same facility, but many were either inside the facility itself or in their trucks. When asked if he had seen something similar before, the witness stated that he had he had before when he was a teenager back home in Mexico. The witness stated that he hmm. saw a solid black-winged creature that was circling an open field that he and other children were playing soccer in. He stated it circled the field and made a loud screeching noise before flying off into the surrounding forest. Then hmm. I asked him if he remembered the date of the sighting. He stated that he did not remember the exact date, but a week later there was a large earthquake in Mexico City. For the record, the magnitude 8.0 earthquake that hit Mexico City was on September 19th, 1985. Mm. Um, the witness seemed sincere, albeit scared that he had seen something demonic and evil. It is my opinion that the witness is telling the truth. An investigator will be dispatched to do a field observation, and any info will be posted on the site as it becomes available. 
So if I'm okay. not mistaken, I believe this was the story that got picked up by other media outlets and podcasts other than ours, which is huh? just simply not cool. No, um, Unacceptable. Phantom of the Chicago sightings then unsurprisingly started coming out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. So everyone was primed to have this image in their mind to explain random stuff they had seen. So once more people were mm-hmm. aware of, oh, there's some kind of monster people have been seeing, they then had that to run with. Uh, Tobias, what's the name of the singular 40 in society, got back on his shit. Lon, of course, got plenty of traction. And wouldn't you know it, all these stories that have been piling up over the past three years suddenly started attracting the attention of folks who had previously known nothing about any of it. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the Phantom of the Chicago phenomenon is a self-fulfilling SEO machine from which there is no (laughs) escape. Uh, I do say, luckily, we are probably not adding too much to the noise with our coverage because, A, we have our own superior name for the phenomenon, and B, no one listens to the show. (laughs) so uh, this may or may not be in part because of my firm (laughs) refusal to ever use seo episode titles that's fine yeah we both we both just prefer to make the titles the way we make the titles because it's just fun that way oh yeah no one will ever find them but the people who do find them you guys out there you're the real you're the real deal just occurred to me we have not welcomed anyone to the show or introduced ourselves Welcome to the show. This is Super Duperstitious, the paranormal podcast about the science of the strange. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. Anyway, back to it. So, yes. <laughs> God damn. We, we got to not go more than a week without recording. We completely forget oh, yeah. everything. Or have we just figured out the coolest way of doing this? <laughs> Maybe. That open was cold as fuck. It was the chilliest <laughs> open. Oh. It is wintertime, so it Frigid is seasonally open. apropos. <laughs> I'll play the music. Uh, I can start playing the music now. <laughs> yeah. After we've already or had just, the theme music for the segment, but not for the episode. Have have the episode music be looping quietly in the background <laughs> from the time we start talking God. until just then, and the Phantom of the Chicago music plays over top of it. <laughs> I'm going to try that, and if it works, it's staying. Yeah, if it works, we have to do it that way every single time. God. <laughs> Uh, I do have one more encounter to read if you're interested. Um, there are, sure. of course, plenty more where that came from, but this is just one mm. I thought was kind of fun, specifically because a friend of the show, Olivia, happens to live where this happened. Uh, also, Olivia. Mm. Sister of the I... show, kind yes. of. Yes. <laughs> sister I guess of sister the, the show officially would be Kayla, but uh, sister-in-law of the show? Yeah, sure. We'll go with yeah. that. I like it. I mean, yeah, Lauren does all of the artwork, so she's still... I think the show <laughs> enough to say yeah. it's just her sister. Anyway, <laughs> you know you can you can think of this podcast as basically a noisy, annoying hour and a half <laughs> to help promote Lauren's art. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yes, Olivia. Yes, she saw something. No, I wish. Now this is just oh. in the town where she lives. Oh my god. Okay. Well, now I'm bored. <laughs> Person said, hello, I'm writing to you today in regards to the Mothman slash human owl. This is DG and JG. We live in the reserve at Hoffman Estates in Illinois, and our apartment complex is next to an empty cornfield and across from Barrington, Illinois. If only it was both things. Yeah, and there's a forest preserve. Uh, my husband and I live on the third floor of the complex as we face another building, but can see also see towards the cornfield to our right. We also have a lot of trees around our building, almost as tall as the building itself. Creepers. We would normally go out to our porch every night to smoke a cigarette, and about a month and two weeks ago, late October 2019, 
We went out at nine, about 9 to 10 p.m. We usually leave our phones inside so we can enjoy some chat and gaze upon the st- uh, gaze upon at the stars or even gaze see upon. a pack of coyotes roaming around the streets in apartments. Wow. What the fuck? What is the deal in Hoffman Estates? <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes even heading back into the field towards the forest. Keep in mind this field has no crop so it's empty and you can see towards the street. All right. Uh, well, that specific what? night, my husband was um, to my right, and he is taller than me. So I was talking to him, taking a puff, when I noticed something in the pine tree. I believe it is pine behind him. I feel like you could be able to tell if it's a pine or not. You should be able to tell pine. I'm, I'm doubting this person more and more. I'm also completely <laughs> spun out in time. I know the husband's taller. They smoke cigarettes on their porch that is trapped somewhere in like a vortex between crops and non-crops, but they face the building. And they can see... Oh, I don't even know anymore. Go on. <laughs> go on with this crazy tale. You know something in the pine tree behind him? Right at the top of the tree. Not in between the branches or, not in between the branches or nothing. Right at the top. In all capitals. <laughs> he noticed I wasn't paying attention, so he turned around to look. And sure enough, there was what we thought was a huge owl looking out toward the field, then looking back around. So after Ooh. a couple of seconds, maybe 30 seconds, we started to question each other. What is that? Is that an owl? This thing was pitch black, but its wings and shape were huge, as you um, as you can see that from the reflection of the sky, which was lighter. Wait, did she take a picture? No. Uh, okay. Uh, well, they left their phones inside. She said that already. Right. I recall continuing yeah. to smoke as we tried to examine this creature looking around. Once we had noticed it, I don't recall it ever looking at us. We were already a few minutes outside before I noticed it, so I'm not sure if he ever looked down at us. I was more focused on the body shape, though. I could see huge, long black wings. Um, it couldn't, we couldn't really see any details as it was super dark. My husband was trying to get closer to the edge to get a good look at it, but we were already, but we could really just see the long wings and huge shape. Well, after a while, we said, yeah, just my, um, it might just be an owl, a pretty big one for sure. We came inside <laughs> our complex, which is the roof of the building. Normally, I th- I'm getting more confused about where they live all the time. <laughs> Normally at night, we could hear the animals climbing on the rails and roof. But our roommate, whose room is next to the porch, states, I need a map, states he always hears something walking at night by his window or above it. But their, their room is the roof, they said. <laughs> they sure did. Or whatever. I'm not sure if it's that creature. The tree is right next to us, so he can easily climb onto the building. Right next to us? <laughs> we thought nothing of it until we read the article about a semi-truck driver who spotted something similar at O'Hare mm. Airport, which is not far from here. Once we saw that, we just stared at each other because we recall what we saw. So now we know we weren't seeing things like this was legit. Uh, we sometimes step out for a moment to see if we find it again, but so far it's been gone. That's our story about seeing this unknown flying human owl. Wow. So yeah, it was an owl. But now the idea is out there. People saw Damn, an owl yeah. in wherever it was that they were and in Hoffman Estates. And because they had seen that story about the semi-truck driver I read before, they, uh, they're they just primed and ready. They primed right up. Mm. Yeah. Man, oh, man. I'm glad you read that other account. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, what is our theme, Mr. Shell? Well, to put it simply, we're back on our bullshit. <laughs> we sure are. We are getting back into some uh, cryptids, unstructured cryptids week. Uh huh. Do I start or do you? It's been a you while. You do, yeah. It's been a while, but uh, it is in fact you. Okay. Well, having drafted this 
a little while back, I semi forget what I even prepared outside of the broadest sense. So this will be new to both of us. So this will be new to both of us. Uh, apparently some guy named Wyatt wrote it. Um, <laughs> let us begin. So it says Wyatt Shell. Yeah. 30, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someone's like, Sandra Rehan's like class. Yeah. <laughs> There's a crudely drawn house. There's an arrow towards it saying home. I don't know what. <laughs> um, all right. So I started saying your age and then kind of ducked out at the last second because I realized I was, I was actually kind of uh, anticipating it too soon. You're not 32 okay. yet. Not 32 yet. It's true. It's coming up. So yeah. everyone prepare and send birthday gifts now, please. <laughs> <laughs> to some address. <laughs> Just figure out my address and send them there. There um, are hints right. in our uh, various Instagram posts over the course of the past year. You have to find True. them all. That's right. Exactly. Pull together all the scraps. You'll need a magnifying glass and probably a black light. <laughs> um, all right. So so I have for you today the story of Xana. Have you ever heard of Xana, Jake? Or Xana? No. Well, I'll get right into it. So... While collecting reports of purported relict hominids from the Western Caucasus in 1962, zoologist Alexander Mashkovtsev heard and studied the story of Zana. When Mashkovtsev passed away, his friend and colleague Boris, Boris Porshnev, oh my God, this here we go again, great. Yep, took over where he left off. The following is borrowed from Porshnev's work called The Struggle for Troglodytes. Oh. As featured on BigfootEncounters.com. Yeah, it's another Bigfoot type thing, okay? So, <laughs> wait, who are all these people? <laughs> Get your hands off me. <laughs> I warned you this would happen. Oh, my God. Okay. He's going to do one more. In Abkhazia, Western Caucasus, relic hominids are called Abnauyu. Ah, so far so good. Laura yeah. carries reference of these beings back to at least the 1400s, but no story has received more attention nor possible physical support than that of Zana, a female Abnauyu, who had been caught and tamed and who lived and died within the memories of a number of people who were still alive at the time of Mashkovtsev and Porshnev's research. Zana lived uh, bore freaky children and eventually was buried near the village of uh, my god how do you pronounce this <laughs> Kina I'm just going to say T-K-H-I-N-A huh what would you do with that T-H-K-I-N-A no 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 T-K-H-I-N-A T-A-K-H-A <laughs> I, I think you guys is as good as mine if not better. Takaha? Taka not. Tacoma, right? It's Tacoma. Tacoma. In the Akamchiri district of Abkhazia. <laughs> Why do you always do this to yourself? I can't help where things have happened, Jake. I could just call it place A in zone B. <laughs> In the 1880s, this is when this is taking place, 1880s or 1890s. So first, her story, then some more recent follow-up on the tale. That is ostensibly the structure of my segment. The manner of Xana's capture is vague. Some said it was not a chance catch. The story goes that hunters, apparently familiar with the age-old technique referred to as 
mugging. <laughs> Tied her up, and when she furiously fought back, basically just beat her up until she stopped. <laughs> she had likely already changed hands by sale as a living curiosity when she became property of the ruling prince, D.M. Akba, who was the titular head of the Zadan region at that time. Concerningly, I will mention that this name, D.M. Akba, uh, seems to be associated only with this tale. I was trying to sort of corroborate this detail at the mm. very least and uh, could not find it otherwise Interesting. Um, So perhaps bullshit. Zana eventually fell under ownership of a nobleman named Edgi Ganaba who visited the region. He took her away still um, shackled and chained to his estate in the village of TKHINA on the Makva River, (laughs) (laughs) about 78 kilometers from Sukumi. Uh, So for folks at home, basically, this is all taking place in the mountainous region of modern Georgia near the Black Sea. So just imagine the eastern shore of the Black Sea. There is a mountain range in that area. That's where this is going down. So mm-hmm. at first, Ganaba lodged uh, Zana in a very strong enclosure and nobody ventured in to give her food because, as the story goes, she acted like a wild beast. It was thrown to her. She dug herself a hole in the ground and slept in it for the first three years that she lived um, at the estate. She gradually became tamer. Um, and after three years, she was moved to a wattle fence enclosure under an awning near the house, tethered at first, but later uh, let loose to wander about. However, she never went far from the place where she received her food. She could not endure warm rooms, and the year round in any weather slept outdoors in a hole that she made herself under the awning. Hmm. So as, again, it's worth bearing in mind, as sort of fanciful as these details are, they were ostensibly literally collected from the sort of uh, passed down memory tale of people who actually lived when this was going on. Wow. Uh, Villagers teased her with sticks thrust through the waddle fencing and she would snatch them with fury, bare her teeth and howl. Uh, Her skin was black or dark gray and her whole body covered with reddish black hair. The hair on her head was tussled and thick um, hanging mane-like down her back. Uh, she could not speak, and over the decades that she lived with people, did not learn a single Abkhaz word. She only made inarticulate sounds and mutterings and cries when irritated. But she reacted to her name, carried out commands given by her master, and was scared when he shouted at her. And this, despite the fact that she was very tall, massive, and broad, with big old butt and boobies, <laughs> story goes, uh, muscular arms and legs, and fingers that were longer and thicker than human fingers, so it goes. It is said she could also splay her toes widely and move them apart um, from the big toe, or move the big toe independently of them, hmm. essentially. So all kind of funky, interesting details. It was Sasquatch. From remembered descriptions given to <laughs> Mashkovtsev and Porshnev, her face was terrifying. Broad with high cheekbones, flat nose, turned out nostrils, muzzle-like jaws, framing a wide mouth with large teeth, a low forehead, and eyes of a reddish tinge. But the most frightening feature was her expression, which purported witnesses said was purely animal rather than human. Sometimes she would give a spontaneous laugh, 
baring her massive white teeth, which were so strong that she could easily crack the hardest walnuts. So, Zana lived for many years without showing any change, no gray hair, no falling teeth, um, keeping strong and fit as ever. Her athletic power was, it's said, enormous. She could outrun a horse. She could swim across the Makva River even when it rose in a violent high tide. And seemingly without effort, she lifted with one hand an 80-kilo sack of flour and carried it uphill from the water mill to the village. She climbed trees to get fruit and would pull down a whole vine growing uh, around the tree to gorge herself on grapes. Um, she ate whatever was offered to her, including hominy and meat, with bare hands. She also apparently loved wine and would regular be, regularly be allowed uh, her fill, they say, which I imagine just means an entire barrel of wine. <laughs> imagine like, that one outing that Andre the Giant had that they talked about the number of bottles of wine and different other yeah. uh, drinks he had. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, how, much, how much did he wind up putting away? Uh, let me look it up real quick. Andre the Giant. Um, oops, sorry. Dusty Rhodes watched in Oz. Andre drank 156 beers in one sitting. That's 14.6 gallons of beer, about 55 times more liquid than the average human stomach can hold. I was going to What? That's so many beers. <laughs> it's many, many beers. <laughs> Which we can assume that um, somewhere in that same ballpark is an amount of wine that... Uh, that Zana had. Yes. For her, her quote-unquote fill. Yes. Indeed. So, the story goes into some more detail about her roaming and simple tool use and various chores she had been trained to do. It also describes how folks, of course, attempted to give her basic clothes, which she would rip apart and pretty much, you know, obliterate on contact. And then, I guess inevitably, we get to the part where she has kids, so Zana, the story goes, was pregnant several times by various men and Ugh. giving birth without assistance would regularly wash the newborn children in the cold water spring, uh, which would kill them. <laughs> and it wasn't until villagers began to take the newborn babies away from her that four children, two sons and two daughters, were able to survive. They, quote, grew up as humans, fully fledged and normal men and women who could talk and possessed reason. Unquote. The sons were Zanda and Quit, and the daughters were Kadzanar and Gamasa. Uh, apparently, all had descendants of their own who have since dispersed. The youngest son, Quit, died in 1954, hmm. and his purported skull will come up a little later in my segment. Hmm. So, Gamasa and Quit were both powerfully built and had darker skin like their mother, but inherited. Uh, her inherited almost none of Zana's facial morphology. Quit, who died somewhere between the ages of 65 and 70, as described, uh, sorry, was described as little different from the human norm, except he was extremely strong, difficult to deal with, and quick to put up a fight. So again, this is all sort of the story of Zana and her kids. The next stage of Boris uh, Porshnev's investigation was naturally to find Zana's gravesite, as she was supposedly buried near this village. I do like how so, they, in their investigation, just totally glaze over the fact that apparently several dudes just like fucked Zana, and that was fine. Yes, I know. It's kind of totally fucked up. Yeah. Actually. 
an uncomfortable facet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in Porshnev's own words, quote, In September 1964, the archaeologist V.S. Orelkin and I made our first attempt to find Zana's grave. The cemetery was wildly overgrown and only uh, and only the 10-year-old mound over Quit's grave could be picked out among the bracken covering the hillside. Nobody else had been buried since then. Zana must be somewhere near. We asked the old residents and the last scion of the Ganaba family, 79-year-old Kenton. Bracken scion. <laughs> he was clear. Uh, what was that? Battlef- battle, Battlestar Galactica? Battlefield Earth, yeah. Battlefield Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Battlefield Galactica. Yep. Um, he was clear that we should dig under a pomegranate tree, but what we found there turned out to be the remains of one of Zana's grandchildren who had died early. Mm. For the profile that we established from the skull was extraordinarily like the profiles of Zana's two living grandchildren, whom I myself had met, unquote. So after many failed attempts to find Zana's bones over multiple expeditions all the way through 1978, they finally decide to exhume the skull of Quit, Zana's younger son, whose grave was still well indicated. Porshnev brought the skull to Moscow, where it was studied by two physical anthropologists, M.A. Uh, Kolodieva and M.M. Gerasimova. The results of the study were reported at the Relict Hominoid Research Seminar and the Moscow Naturalists Society and published in 1987. An excerpt from that report reads, quote, the TKHNA skull. (laughs) Chinka? China? I I don't know. Truly don't know. Let me quickly... (laughs) Go to Google Pronounce or whatever. Oh, this can't be good. If you type in pronounce and then T-K-H-I-N-A, the very first hit is a Wikipedia entry for Almas, <laughs> which are Mongolian wild men, which is a cryptozoological topic. Oh. I'm starting to doubt even this detail of the wow. story. Uh, suffice it to say, the report reads apparently that this skull exhibits an original combination of modern and ancient features. The facial facial section of the skull is significantly larger in comparison with the bean abkaz type. All the measurements and indices of the superciliary cranial contour, and I think here they're just referring to the brow, Mm. are greater not only than those of the mean, but also than those of maximum size of some fossil skulls that have been studied. Hmm. And there is a comparison of Quit's skull to that of a known human, um, which I can show you after. Later, another female skeleton was unearthed also at the uh, cemetery close to Quit's grave. The body was buried on its side with the legs bent and with a mirror at the head indicating that it was a female. Though the skull was broken and flattened, it was clearly more robust than that of local women and featured a large projecting jaw. A rubber shoe branded in 1888 was also found at the grave. Given the evidence, this was assumed to be Zana, which was a potentially thrilling find, as this would be the first time researchers had found the remains of a sort of Almasti, they were calling it at the time, sort of this wild Sasquatchy type creature, so they thought. Except the anthropological analysis indicated that the bones were more likely from an African woman who had somehow made it to the Caucasus. So now what? Following this, the DNA of both skulls was analyzed by New York University 
and the results were made public on the National Geographic program, Is It Real? Russian Bigfoot, in which anthropologist Shara Bailey said that even though there were genetic similarities between the two skulls, the female skull showed many distinct morphological differences, like a strongly defined lower face and tooth uh, prognathism, basically her teeth stuck out. Uh, Further, mitochondrial DNA from both of the skulls, as analyzed by geneticist and benevolent asshole Todd Disotel, (laughs) (laughs) indicated that the shared female maternal relationship was of a human origin, not of a novel ape, and certainly not the result of mutations of the supposed Neanderthal species, which had also been previously suggested. So cut several years further down the road, and we arrive at the work of Professor Brian Sykes at the Institute of Human Genetics in Wilson College, University of Oxford. Hmm. Pretty uh, officious title. Sykes is a published researcher with works including uh, genetic analysis of hair samples attributed to Yeti, Bigfoot, and other anomalous primates in none other than Proceedings of the Royal Society B. Oh, I wonder if I know anyone who's been recently published there. Mm Indeed. At first blush, he seems like the kind of geneticist who may be trying to put some robust scientific rubber to the road with regard to exploring the biological possibility of sort of cryptid apes of this kind. To that end, in 2015, Sykes analyzed what are believed to be the samples of Zana's and Quit's DNA, along with samples taken from the saliva of known living descendants. And he found that her DNA... Drum roll, please. Well, oh, too many, too many drums. <laughs> those those drums sound like they were conspiring. <laughs> Didn't say drum conspiracy, please. Um, Reveal that Zana was one hundred percent African, and not only that, but that she was not of any known group. Rather, Sykes believes. Her ancestors left Africa roughly 100,000 years ago and lived in the remote Caucasus for many generations. I suddenly have the taste of racist bullshit in my mouth. (laughs) Same. And thankfully, we are not the only ones. Sykes Mm. would later admit that his claimed affiliation in his Royal Society publication at, quote, the Institute of Human Genetics, unquote, at Wolfson College, which I just read, was a pure fabrication. Jesus. Quote, the journal required some sort of additional address in the college and, hey, presto, I became an institute, unquote. Jesus. At least one of Sykes' published books says that he uh, has been professor of human genetics at Oxford since 1997, but university officials said that he had not held that position for a decade or so. My God. A follow-up slash commentary type paper by C.J. Edwards and R. Barnett, also published at the Royal Society in 2014. How could that possibly be? published at oh no it's i think it was published in the same issue if not a very the next issue i said 2015 earlier for his initial article and this was 2014 Mm. they're in the same year so whichever one not too hard to find this follow-up paper also contested sykes findings in his earlier work in that paper this is the prior uh study before all the stuff with zana Mm-hmm. Sykes had looked at 30 DNA samples, all attributed to hairs left by one or another kind of Bigfoot from around the globe, uh, purportedly. Mm-hmm. To his credit, Sykes was able to dismiss 28 of the samples as known creatures. But the remaining two uh, matched only to sequences from a Pleistocene polar bear. 
The article pretty much leaves it at that, but does uh, barter out just enough room to leave the reader going, hmm, about the possibility of perhaps it was a cryptid ape. Mm-hmm. Edwards and Barnett gently smack Sykes down for this, even going so far as to reanalyze the data to come up with equally well-supported, if not better-supported, contemporary species identities for these two samples, um, all with much greater scientific rigor. Mm -hmm. So all this to say, Sykes, yet again, is likely a racist nutter, and (laughs) as with so many in the field of cryptozoology, seems to be attempting to prove rather than disprove Bigfoot hypothesis under rather shady means. Mm -hmm. So where does this leave Zana? Well, she almost certainly existed and was, by literally every account logged from surviving witnesses, an extremely wild being in both physicality and behavior. But shy of the tales and the DNA samples, at this point, we kind of have little else to go on. So it remains a somewhat um, intriguing mystery. Yeah. And that was my weird segment for today. <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't too boring. <laughs> no, it's very, very curious. Uh, and with so much types, so many different types of bullshit happening in so many different stages of the story. Indeed. Starting from the actual like events themselves. If this was an existing uh, being at some point named Zana, it sounds like she probably was just a human who they thought was weird and was just like kept feral her entire life and locked right. in cages and stuff and so just not properly socialized to be able to um interact with people or to to act as they would say civilized or whatever right and uh just given a really horrific existence the entire time that's what made me pause about going into this after all <laughs> but hopefully <laughs> it wasn't too too brutal to hear about because <laughs> i know at the end of the day i'm like oh man what a rough go um, some folks Did also you have a fork recall, in your pocket. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> oh, even funnier! I found that with my foot while sitting here in the kitchen, okay. and I picked it up with my foot and handed it to my hand. Okay. Like, I can only see the part that comes up on the camera, so I just see you <laughs> pull up a fork. Like, okay, put this down now. <laughs> <laughs> I I saw in my readings as well some folks pr- uh, proposing that somehow she was a living homo erectus and hmm. uh no i don't know about that <laughs> I, I am uh, not so certain I about am, that uh, not so i'm not so certain about that but uh yeah there you have it very interesting Zana. in the land of uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> Kina. if we have any listeners at all anywhere near any uh, yeah i don't know if anyone's gonna help us with this <laughs> <laughs> yeah Tell us how to pronounce it now, please. Very interesting story. Thank you for sharing. Yes, my pleasure. shell. <laughs> so what I have today is a topic that I'm pretty sure it was actually suggested by a friend of the show, Katie Amaker. I'm very open to being corrected uh-huh. on this, however. I don't, I don't really remember, and I could not be bothered to dig back through messages to find out. So I'm <laughs> happy to be corrected. Whatever. I also think this topic plays with the definition of what counts as a cryptid while still being pretty true to the concept. Okay. Uh, an as yet unconfirmed living creature believed to exist as a genuine biological phenomenon as opposed to something purely mythical or supernatural. I know that you and I, among many others, sometimes play fast and lose with this definition and lump it in basically any monster as a cryptid. But, uh, yeah, that's true. This is, I think, a, a genuinely accepted uh, term. But anyway... Getting us closer to zoology again, perhaps. Yeah. 
in any case, this is a, a weird biological thing that I am talking about today. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so what, Mr. Shell, do you know about rat kings? Rat kings, well, they are not elected. Uh, <laughs> usually, it's sort of like a feudal system. I mean, as you might intuit, mm, pretty small, though. Voles are the serfs. I think uh, mice get some kind of uh, different sort of land ownership yeah. situation. Mice, yeah, voles. Well, mice could be the serfs. Voles are like also serfs. <laughs> yeah. We're both forgetting what comes between serfs and lords. Lords, uh, what, what? You got, you got your uh, barons. Is that king stuff? Did you just say baron as well? Okay, you, you and Lawrence said baron, baron at the exact same time, so I agree right. with yes on that. So voles are barons, mice are mice are definitely serfs. Yes. How about moles though? Oh, That's man. a different thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, none of this is true, so I'll just go on. <laughs> rat King. Yes. It sounds like a punk band. Do you know anything beyond that about a rat king? Uh no. Oh cool. This will be exciting then. Uh, I'll be referring primarily to a medium article by at Naturalish which is now apparently a podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I'll jump into that. The story initially spread across Europe in the late 1500s during an era of reformation in Germany after the rise of Lutheranism and a peasant's rebellion in 1524. Mm. Commoners across Europe weren't looking too favorably towards the ruling class and the idea of a rat king, originally Rattenkönig in German, uh, resonated amongst the populace that thought rulers were exploiting their sovereignty. Martin Luther was quoted famously as saying, finally, there is the Pope, the king of rats, right at the top. The metaphor Ooh, stuck. Um, so what a rat king ultimately is, in, in the kind of mythology stuff they talk about, is um, a bunch of rats all kind of tied together at the oh, tail. Oh, yes. But they, um, in particular, talk about one just kind of riding on top of this like um, kind of cushion of fused rats, and he is the rat king. Uh-huh. Uh, that I'll serve him, but... Um, but generally, the idea of, of rats all nodding up at their tails and being one bunch of rats, um, that is the question, whether or not those are actually a real thing. What? Yeah. So, okay. Um, so there are a, a half dozen specimens or so floating around in museums today. And in spite of that, the magnitude of most evidence could lend itself to fraud, some researchers think. So you can look up Rat King and you'll see these different like mummified looking just balls of rats all knotted together at the tail and they're in museums you can look at them but not so clear on whether or not those were just found that way or if there was some some fraud involved um Mm -hmm. the rise of rat king specimens came during an era when deceptive and manipulated evidence of cryptids was a common occurrence like Mm. travelers would uh, fetch a pretty penny for unicorn horns they knew to come from real animals like narwhals or oryx Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure when time-wise this lines up with the Fiji mermaid or stuff like that, but people have been doing this kind of shit all the time. Mm-hmm. So the article goes on to drive the argument further. Recorded sightings of the Rat King have um, have stalled since the 1800s, with only one verified specimen in 1986 and another in 2005 to keep the story alive. Um, so this raises a major question from skeptics: What's to stop people from knotting the tails of dead rats together and claiming fame? Nothing, really, and many rat experts think this to be the most common case, especially considering that most rats would gnaw off their own tails before succumbing to starvation as a rat king. Mm. So, yeah, just saying, rats aren't stupid. Um, they, they, sur- <laughs> they survive very well in many, many situations, so if they were to become entangled with their uh, brethren, they'd probably just 
chew off their own tail if they seem like they're going to be stuck that way so they can still live their lives. Seems <laughs> unlikely that they would all just die together in a big pile. Very much so. Yes. But, uh, this but I says, feel like that's not where this is going. Not necessarily. So this says, uh, can we discount all evidence because of a few skeptical scientists? Or could they be real? So now let's refer to mm. a short video <laughs> that I actually have. And I got to remember how to see how to do screen share screen on share. Skype. I'm not going to share sound because there isn't really any. Um, <clears throat> There's a little like picture oh, in picture looking thing. I think. <laughs> Start sharing. All right. Oh, are you... oh, cool. All right. So let me go to the link. Describe what you see. I see someone's walking around. They're looking at a path. Oh, there are rats that are all tied together by the tail. These are squirrels. So I couldn't hear a word you said. Are they squirrels? Those were squirrels. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> they look like rats at first, but rats are basically just uh, squirrels that look gross. <laughs> um yeah, it all slowed down like crazy again. Time yeah, with your time too. lurch. I just heard a bunch of and, weird uh, like digital lurching <laughs> sounds from you, so I could not really tell tell what uh, yeah. you were saying. But uh, <laughs> as I was fun. going, oh no, this is going wrong. I hear you go. There, squirrels. Do we want to try clean take as though it worked? This time I'll be like, they're squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to just send you the link and you can just watch it real quick? It's very well, short. I, they, they were they were all tied up. It was crazy. They're outside. I couldn't believe it. There they were, <laughs> just like the Rat King, but they're squirrels, I guess, so it's actually a squirrel emperor. And they got the name wrong. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Um, so that was an honest-to-goodness squirrel, I guess, squirrel emperor in, um, in Bangor, Maine in 2017. Did you take that film? I, I did not. In okay. 2017, I would have been... Uh, kind of had to think about it there. Busy, yeah. Busy in uh, <laughs> New Hampshire still. Uh, was 2017 the year of the squirrel apocalypse? I don't remember. Mm, I feel like it might have been. No. Was that 2018? It was, it was last year. Okay, yeah, what, 2018? Okay. I, would, I was just wondering if it had been a deal where that was the, the year of the squirrel apocalypse. Would we call that? Because there was some kind of... For some reason, the fall of 2017, um, there was just a shitload of acorns... And so the yes. spring of 2018, there were just so many surviving offspring of squirrels that there were just a billion gray squirrels all throughout the <laughs> Northeast. And uh, let's just say they were called instantaneously. <laughs> yes. It was It was sad. There was just, I mean, there are roads everywhere and there were squirrels everywhere and those two things met up a lot. Um, yeah. One of those two things is a lot harder than the other one. <laughs> Which actually created some very interesting behavioral modifications very early on as far as like mm. natural selection for certain adaptations. Such as in drivers or in squirrels? <laughs> in squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> Usually when you see a gray squirrel hopping, like moving around on the ground, they kind of do it in a bunch of hops. They just like hop along. If you see mm -hmm. a squirrel crossing the road, they usually hop and they hop really fast. Um, we saw squirrels just sprint across the highway. Like I saw just, a squirrel stand up on its hind legs and run like a <laughs> <laughs> the puppy of time to the full on Get jogging on the track motion. team, yeah. <laughs> but no, we did see some squirrels full on sprint on all fours and it was very effective. They got totally across and made it to safety. Um mm -hmm. this is not the point. That was an actual squirrel king, just like the rat kings we're talking about. So this sort of thing is plausible. But so back to the article. 
Quote, when looking for actual natural explanations for the phenomena, scientists have a few hypotheses. Tails must become knotted together through some binding agent, possibly ice or blood, as posed by some researchers, or wait, feces. Wait, wait, what, 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 what? Ice or what? Blood. <laughs> <laughs> Just to think, try to think of weird things that could be kind of sticky that might be around. Okay. Come from there. Right. Um, they'll say maybe feces, food, or sebum, yeah, which, yeah. Is the, uh, which is oil gland secretions that all mammals have, um, as posed by others. Uh, black rats, which is the most common species we're talking about here, also have semi-prehensile tails, and so certain theories claim that in cold conditions, rats might curl together naturally and wind uh-huh. up unintentionally knotted into a grotesque, inescapable mass. That makes sense. It <laughs> <That> sounds <laughs> yeah. very Lovecraftian. Yes. In the case of squirrels, like uh, the video we just watched, it's not entirely uncommon for tree sap to glue together the tails Aww. of juveniles, juveniles held together in a nest. Mm-hmm. Um, as for naturally occurring rat kings, it seems like the evidence can't be entirely written off. In some cases, the phenomenon can indeed be created under organic conditions. So shit might really be possible. What evidence do we have of these things, though, aside from easily faked museum specimens? Well, let's just plow through a list of purported sightings. Uh, as compiled boy. by Lucas Riley on Mental Floss in a super comprehensive timeline that I have no choice but to abridge like crazy for length. It was, it's a whole, it did a lot of legwork running through this wow. whole timeline, which he got um, painstakingly took from a book called Rats by uh, Martin uh-huh. Tart. Right, it's M-A-A-R-T-E-N, Martin, and then apostrophe T, and then H-A-R-T. <laughs> Martin Tart. <laughs> Martin, or is it Martin? Well, there's a space. I'm not sure. Oh, apostrophe T. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's wow. almost like when you see a Yorkshire accent spelled out, the word "the" is always kind of just a t- down. Oh, I didn't know that. What? Um, going down. What's happening right now? I don't know. This all begins. So this whole timeline begins a good 423 years before the magic came out. First up, 1576. Johannes Sambucus, a Hungarian historian, releases the fourth edition of his popular Emblemata, essentially a 16th century picture book fully entitled Emblemata cum aliquot numus antiqui operis. Uh, You may have that on your shelves right now. (laughs) In it, Sambucus describes how servants in Antwerp, Belgium, discovered seven rats with knotted tails. The same volume contains stories involving unicorns, so take that for what it's worth. July 1683, in Strasbourg, France, a man named Wurzen discovers in his cellar six, quote, strikingly large rats with their tails so intertwined and fused that they cannot be separated without injury, a mm. contemporary report states. The varmints are exhibited at the town hall, and an illustrated print of the braided bunch is published in the Mercure Gallant. I've seen that TV show. <laughs> Uh, 1722, a writhing cluster of rats, number unknown, grips Leipzig, Germany. The gnarled specimen is killed, pickled in a jar of alcohol, and paraded through the city. It is later mummified in a private museum. Like any good mummy, it mysteriously goes missing. Mm. 1727, in a banner year for rat kings, naturalist uh, Johann Link reports that a whopping four rat kings are sighted in Germany. Hart, however, who wrote this whole book claims that uh, only one of these is mildly credible. The rat king of the quaint mountainside town of Wernigerode, which is said to be uh, preserved by a local count. Mm. 1759, a tinsmith in Armstadt, Germany, is startled to find a buffet uh, buffet of six snagged vermin near the town market. 
the oh, discovery becomes a subject of five oil paintings, four of which were lost during World War II. According to mm. Hart, the only surviving artwork is hung in Arnstadt's Castle Museum. So if we ever make it out to Arnstadt, we can see if that painting is there and see what the rat king looks nice. like. <laughs> yeah. 1772, 12 knotted up rats are discovered in Erfurt, Germany. The specimen is later illustrated by J.J. Bellerman in his 1820 book, Über das Bischer Bisweifelte Design des Rattenkonigs, or On the Hitherto Doubted Existence of Rat Kings. For those curious, the book does not sell very well, is what he says here. <laughs> There's a lot of really fun little pretty, things that pretty um, niche reading, yeah. Yes. Oh, that is, yeah, nice yeah, little some, flavor. Some cute uh, little stuff thrown in throughout that right. I appreciated. Uh, December 1774, Christian Kaiser, Miller's assistant, finds 16 snarls rat, uh, snarled rats in Lindenau, uh, Lindenau, Germany, and drags them to an artist named Johann Adam Faussauer, requesting <laughs> a painting. Instead, Faussauer begins exhibiting the rats to the public for a fee. When Kaiser realizes that the painter is profiting off his discovery, he demands for the specimen's return. According to mm-hmm. Hart, the end of the story is unknown, but other reports suggest the dispute led to one of the strangest custody battles a courtroom has ever witnessed. Oh my god. December 1822, a thresher in Dolstadt finds two gobs of rats, one consisting of 28 rodents, the other of 14, of rats. inside the main beam of a barn. Quote, wow. All 42 seemed to be very hungry and squeaked continuously, but looked perfectly healthy, reported zoologist Al- um, Al- Alfred Brem. All were of equal and moreover of such considerable size that they must have been born during the last spring. Mm. The rats were paraded through town before being thrown unceremoniously onto a dung heap. Oh my god. May 1828. Doing spring cleaning, Miller Steinbrück of Thuringia, Germany, finds a scorched clump of 32 rodents in his chimney. The terrifying Rat King is today held at uh, Maritianum Museum in Altenburg, Germany. Mm. May 1829, an artist gets creative <laughs> with a coil of eight rats discovered in Flying, Germany. The individuals can, uh, constituting the king were not arranged in the usual circle, but looked like a bunch of flowers with the tails representing the knotted stems, Hart writes. Today Ugh. is preserved at the Stuttgart Natural History Museum. So the- basically, this happens... Well, people at least claim throughout history that it has happened. So it's maybe it's just such a particular thing to be like, let's do another one of those <laughs> balled up rat stories. I'm actually going to get into the reason why this would come up as a story. Um, I'll Go blow on. through a few more of these. It's only a handful more um, specific sightings <laughs> listed here. 1883. <laughs> it's, 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 it's <laughs> hundred years more. In an attempt to determine if rat kings are a hoax, German zoologist Hermann Landois ties the tails of 10 dead brown rats together. According to Hart, the results must have been disappointing. Quote, anyone who ties up the tails of dead rats, I have tried it several times, will obtain something that in no way resembles the kings found in nature. The knots are too neat. But Hart does not discount that there may be frauds out there. It was lucrative to own a king, and so people began tying tails together. Cursed Hart, 1915, reports that many such sham kings were exhibited at fairs and similar gatherings. So it's just a thing that people are interested to see. It's so kind weird. Of, yeah. It's like, <laughs> go on. Oh my God. <laughs> 1889, 100 years before me, a young rat king numbering five <laughs> or six returns up in uh, Obermarden, Zutzendorf, Germany. Reports of the, of the discovery make it to England, where in the Newcastle Weekly Current, spreads the myth that, like royalty, the rats were sustained by the charitable contributions of lowlier rodents. Quote from this newspaper, <laughs> the rats were in the very best conditions, exclusive, uh, conclusive 
that astonishingly good care had been bestowed upon them by their more unfortunate rat brethren. So, for some reason, just digging deep into the idea that it's actual rat royalty. People really stuck on that. Oh, yeah, man. we were just kidding earlier, but now we're like, oh, my God. March 1918, the Rat King takes a vacation to Bogor, Java. Not only is this weave of 10 rats one of the few reported outside of Central Europe, it's the only <laughs> report not to involve black rats, just a different species hmm. of rats. Um, so it is notable that it's largely in, like almost exclusively in um, in Europe that these are being reported, mm-hmm. and especially in Germany. 1930s in New Zealand, a cluster of eight contorted rats drops from the rafters of a shipping office. Clerks beat it generously with a pitchfork and then, also generously, donate it to the Otago Museum where it now resides. <laughs> the wow. tails the museum discovered were tangled with horsehair. Mm. Uh, June 1949 in Berlin, Germany, Three separate rats are tossed into a bucket on the evening of June 2nd. The next morning, the three rats have mysteriously tangled into a knot. Herr Otto Janak, uh, an official with the local rodent extermination department, disentangles the rodents and comes away thinking that it's all a bad joke. Or mm-hmm. one of nature's weird, twisted miracles. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1955, the Natural History Museum of Maastricht picks up a crowd-pleasing <laughs> specimen, a seven-strong rat king found in Limburg, Netherlands. Uh, just like seven-strong. Yeah. February 1963, we're almost at the end here. A Dutch farmer in uh, Rukven, Netherlands, hears a loud squeal and follows the noise to a pile of bean sticks in the barn. When he notices a rat, he kills it and attempts to pull it from the pile. He refuses to budge until the farmer realizes that six more rodents are connected to the original rat. Mm. These two are exterminated and the specimen is later x-rayed. 1966, a man by the name of Wirtz attempts to make his own rat king by gluing the tails of six live albino lab rats. When the oh animals God. attempted to wriggle free, their tails became entangled in a knot. Wirtz then <clears throat> anesthetized the rats and removed the glue to see if they remained knotted like a pretzel. And they did. Hmm. 2005, in Saru, Estonia, a farmer discovers a cluster of 16 rats, nine of which are alive, in a shed, their tails tangled by frozen sand. It's hmm. taken to the Natural History Museum at the University of Tartu, where, it preserved, uh, where it's preserved in alcohol. It's reported that two other rat kings were discovered in Estonia in the 20th century, one of which hmm. contained 18 live rats. And there's actually, I'll have a PDF I'll link to of the uh, scholarly article where this is discussed. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Oh, my God. There's a lot of stories of this happening. And That's it crazy. seems like either it just is happening or people just really like these kinds of stories. There is some evidence there suggesting that it's plausible that it could happen. We saw a live video of that having been true with squirrels. Right. In that case, they are living inside of a tree that has tree sap and they have very furry tails. So there's something to actually cause adherence There's, to occur. Right. Uh, whereas you have the bald, mo- mostly bald tails of rats that are a little harder to screw up. But there's sticky stuff out there that could cause things to happen. In several of these, they specifically said, oh, there was some other thing present that caused them to get stuck together. In this case, frozen mm-hmm. sand. Another one, um, some horse hair. Uh, one case, just straight up glue. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but the fact that they remained together after he removed the glue... Makes me wonder if there isn't some sort of like thing in the build of a rat's tail where it naturally will flex in a certain way if it's put in contact with something else. And so they get like snared by their own yeah. collective. For some reason, say if you like held hands with someone else, your hand would naturally just continue gripping for some reason because it was just designed to do so. So if you wound up doing like a three-way high five you might get trapped <laughs> amongst yourselves <laughs> right 
but maybe that's not at all how those things work. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about rat. No enough about rat tail. It would have been something to dig into if I had <laughs> done that, but I didn't. So unfortunately, sure. I don't have the answer to that. But it is an interesting direction that could go. What I find so interesting is that the you know rats are all over the place in the world and pretty well known. Stories of rat kings are pretty specific to Europe and in particular Germany. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's probably more of a folklore kind of thing, a traditional mm-hmm. kind of tale coming around that just became popular. So the real question then is what makes rat kings hold our imagination so well for mm-hmm. such a long time throughout history? So right. part of it is just the kind of ongoing human disgust with rats. The fact mm-hmm. that we just find them to be these like loathsome creatures that are really gross. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and finding new ways to be disgusted by them is just fascinating. We, we like being grossed out. It's something that people just enjoy. That's why people mm-hmm. would pay to see a rat king, a dead one, or otherwise like come and check it out. Like, oh, wow. Or any kind of like sideshow thing you might see at a county fair or something. Oh, here's a two-headed pig. Like, come check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, people just like weird shit. Uh, the other <laughs> aspect of it is the biological phenomenon of mod, uh, modularity. So the mm-hmm. idea of um, kind of colonial living things all being one sort of combined living thing. Mm-hmm. So a common example of that would be like corals or things like that. And it's it's so different from our experience as mammals that the concept of that among, um, you know, things more like ourselves seems that much more horrifying. And it's mm-hmm. it taps that much more into our psyche as, oh, that's not right. There are like some of the, the place Cronenberg investigates a lot. I feel for like for sure or Carpenter, anyone. Yeah. All of that body horror type stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, came up in some of the older stories is the idea of not only of rat Kings just being like, Oh, a bunch of rats knotted together and supporting one King um, of rats cruising <laughs> around. Also, there are some stories where they will um, <laughs> all team up together and morph together into one megazord of, of rats <laughs> as one creature mm-hmm. which is also nuts but it does go more into the idea of like that kind of hive mind super creature thing built of multiple and how that's just weird and gross um mm-hmm. i can think of like you know season three of uh stranger things mm-hmm. the idea of a monster being made out of multiple other independent beings coming together that way is it's its own form of horror that just kind of works on us Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, pretty seems, nasty. at least my opinion is that maybe a rat king or two has happened in the past due to some very <laughs> strange circumstances. But mm-hmm. generally, I think it's more of just a story people like to tell because it's just like, what a weird, gross thing to talk about. Right, right. And it's possible. Maybe, maybe there was one that happened by accident and someone like kept it and showed it off and then the story just spread. But then, yeah, they sort of like provided the... Template. More than enough, yes, exactly, a template. That's a nice word for it. Because clearly, it was not just the fact that you could get grossed out, maybe you already just said this, but that people would pay so you could make a buck yeah. off of fabricating one of these things. Even more incentive to keep it up. Right, exactly. Crazy, though. I wonder if it couldn't be done. <laughs> Let's look at I have to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why, why do you have all that glue? What do you mean? <laughs> I have to go to my basement. If I remember, I will try before our next episode to look into that question about rat tails and just kind of how, since there is some kind of prehensile quality to them, mm-hmm. just how how much control they have over them and how they move around and uh, and try and have a follow-up on that for next episode. Because it could be the kind of thing, too, where they get stressed after being incidentally entangled and that tension causes them to grip tighter. 
sort of like a monkey and the trap jar kind of thing. And so they, the more they struggle, the more they attempt to get away. They collectively reinforce their own like rigidity that right. like causes them to get stuck. What a freaky situation to be in, though. Yeah, that's crazy though. The Rat King. Mm-hmm. Man, which I'm calling a cryptid for the purposes of this week's episode. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I could dig it. Cool. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. Yes, thank you all very much. Um, and for long time, long time listeners, thanks for being with us while we've kind of been uh, indeed kind of gone for a little while. We've got, yeah, we've got we're we're going to be back back on it again. Don't you worry. So, oh yeah, keeping up, doing this this. But hopefully, the next time you hear us, it'll be I guess a Boxing Day special. <laughs> oh, should we do boxing scene? <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe Feast of St. Stephen kind of theme. St. Stephen's Day, depending on if... St. Stephen's Day. More of a Catholic holiday, I think. Is that Was he the original boxer? I, I'm pretty sure that checks out. <laughs> so we'll be talking about exactly that next week. And if it's something else, then uh, I don't know what happens. So we're something in an alternate reality because there's no way we're not going to talk about St. Stephen, the original heavyweight boxer. And you guys will get to learn more about that at that point. Yeah. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Um, please check out our Patreon if you want to help support please us. Please help, help us keep making the show. We have really cool stuff for you there, including bonus episodes, uh, curated outtakes, stickers, uh, merch discounts. Speaking of merch. Super cool t-shirts, super cool hoodies. We have everything from awesome artwork by Katie Amaker, who is at after underscore artist underscore. And she's done some really cool artwork for us, as well as the beautiful artwork of Lauren, who has done our logo as well as some other fun tidbits. And Say those hi, are Lauren. All... Hello. It's Lauren. <laughs> She's in the house. Lauren happened. Um, a sweet hello such as that can be bought as a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> or hoodie. Or, uh, we also have, yeah, we have posters of stuff. We have, yeah. Indeed, stickers. We have um, stuff, so check that out. If you don't feel like dropping money on our dumb old show, that's okay. We understand that. You can still help us out by leaving a review on iTunes. Yes, indeed. Um, we recently received some, which you already read. So, yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So, um, that's, uh, that's all we got. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Thanks, guys, very much. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>